right. Looks like we're in. Yeah. Okay. Apparently, I'm going to need some headphones. Let me grab those. I can't hear you. Okay, let's try this. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. These uh, have gone through the washing machine a couple of times. I got a little <laughs> nervous. Thanks, man. Thanks. <clears throat> Thank you yeah. for answering my invitation, man. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So, yeah, it got bad hair today. That's all right, though. Who well, cares? It looks good. Yeah. Oh, well. How is everything over there? Good, man. You know, we're, uh, you know, rocking and rolling right through the semester and uh, cool. and just getting everything done. Cool, yeah. man. How's everything in Taiwan? Pretty good. Pretty good. Just, like, finishing the, like, finishing the lockup, like, a month and a half ago. Okay. And starting to training my athletes, like, yeah. Probably a month. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So did you guys get vaccinated? Yeah. Yeah. No, I've had both of mine since uh, maybe May. Uh, you know, that uh, being at the University of Miami, the vaccination was one of the, the huge key things that the uh, president was pushing for faculty yeah. to do. So, yeah, I went ahead and got that right off the bat. And um, and my wife as well. So we're uh, we're good to go. Yeah, thanks, man. Sorry again for all the trouble and no worries. The times. No worries. It, you know, life happens. I understand. So, we're gonna start, okay? Yeah. So, first of all, can you like introduce yourself for the coaches in Taiwan? Yeah, uh, my name is Brian Mann. I've been involved in the field of strength and conditioning since uh, at the Division One level since '98. Uh, I've been lifting weight since probably about 1990, uh, actually. So I, I, um, as a, a coach, I've been at um, – it was Southwest Missouri whenever I was there. It's Missouri State University now. Uh, in, uh, so these are universities in the United States. Uh, then I was at uh, Arizona State University with uh, Joe Ken, uh, University of Tulsa with Pat Ivey, back to Missouri State. And then uh, whenever Pat got the job at University of Missouri, I was there with him for, gosh, 13, 14 years. Uh, and then uh, when the wheels fell off at the University of Missouri, I ended up, uh, I guess you would say, falling forward. I was, my position was cut. You know, a new president comes in and he just axed uh, people's positions left and right. I was one of them. And the day that I got axed, I or found out that my position was, you know, like had 13 months left on it. I ended up getting seeing a job announcement for the University of Miami, and I applied for it and was there. Uh, you know, and I've been here now. This is my fourth year. I'm the new program director uh, for the undergrad program. Uh, so I've been a I've been a coach. I've been a professor, uh, and uh, now you know. I guess my involvement in athletics is more from the sports science standpoint rather than the the hands on coaching. Uh, you know, the upside to that is that the coaches are now getting something from somebody who has done what they're trying to do, you know, that not done what they're trying to do, but uh, meaning that I'm speaking their language rather than, uh, hey, Tim, how you doing? Uh, I got to call you later on, by the way. Uh, so then I've got to, uh, you know, I, I understand what they're trying to do. So unfortunately, a lot of times there's a disconnect between academics and practitioners. And that's not going to happen with me since I do both. And, uh, you know, that that's one of the, the, the great things that, you know, been able to be a resource here from from jump uh, University of Miami within my second week here. I was already doing things with the the athletic teams here. So uh, and I know that that's not normal, uh, especially not at a division one university. But, you know, I'm you know, I'm doing what I can. Cool, man. Cool. Love it. So today I kind of want to focus about like velocity based training and uh -huh. a little bit about a little bit about force velocity profiling okay yeah no problem so first of all like what is velocity based training velocity based training yeah. oh go ahead and why should we use use that 
Well, if uh, you're a beginner trainee, you, you shouldn't be using it. Uh, Velocity-based training, it started really because uh, I don't like being told what to do. And honestly, calling it VBT is probably the worst possible name for it, but that's what I came up with at about like 2 o'clock in the morning at port call in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah at the CSCCA uh, because, you know, there was a lot more devices than just the Tendo because I was just calling it Tendo training at the time. And, yeah, be careful what you say when you're drunk because that th thing can, you know, <laughs> stick. Here we are, you know, 16 years later still calling it the same thing. Uh, but really what it is, it is the utilization of velocity to dictate load. You know, um, in the, the paper, golly, in the paper that uh, M. Laden and uh, Eamon Flanagan uh, posted, and uh, not posted, excuse me, published in the Journal of Australian Strength Conditioning, they showed a preseason tested 1RM versus a velocity predicted 1RM. Uh, and there were days whenever the uh, athlete with their predicted max was 30 kilos above what the yeah. preseason tested was. And there were days whenever the preseason, uh, it was uh, their preseason tested was 22 kilos above approximately. That's just me looking and taking it across. I mean, we're looking at like a 52 kilo swing either way. Uh, and that's that's huge. And if for an athlete, you know, if you give them too heavy of a load, you know, you pr let's say we prescribe 92 percent. You know, I'm not going to prescribe 92 percent in season. That's just me. But if we're in season, I prescribe 92 uh, percent off of your preseason tested one RM. But you're 22 kilos down from that preseason tested one RM today. Well, I'm probably giving you about 107 or 110 percent and you're going to get hurt uh, because I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, so the utilization of velocity just allows us to be right. And uh, where it really came from was uh, my background athletically, I, I guess if you want to call it athletically, is in the sport of powerlifting. And, uh, you know, we use squat, bench, and deadlift there. And what I was trying to do was make the squat and deadlift be able to be used as a power exercise. And, and that's where it started, and it progressed from there. And looking at the uh, load-velocity relationships and looking at that with the traits, and, um, and really that's, that's how it all began. Now, some of the exercises are going to have, you know, there's the, the zones that uh, most people typically know, right? The uh, 0.5 and below is absolute strength, 0.5 to 0.75 is accelerative, 0.75 to 1.0 is strength speed, 1.0 to 1.25, 1.3 is uh, speed strength, and then uh, greater than that is, um, I'm starting to call it starting speed rather than starting strength because there's a disconnect there between uh, the original language, uh, the Soviet translation, and what is the current vernacular in America. And uh, <clears throat> I'm just having to face facts, and, and, and it's like, well, I can either fight a fight or I can change a term, and I, I don't think it's worth fighting, so I'm just going to change the term, much like Yuri did with pleometrics, uh, not plyometrics, and shock method. Uh, you know, so you, you follow the people that have been before you and, and look at those sorts of things. Uh, and those relationships are all off of squat and deadlift. And then I throw the same thing in there for bench. And a lot of people have taken issue lately. They're like, well, bench press doesn't have the same velocities. Uh, and my response back to that was, well, bench press also doesn't matter uh, for most sport programming. So why would I go ahead and, and make something very, very specific that's going to lead to nothing but confusion between the athletes and the coaches? Uh, that just, you know, that to me, that's like... Uh, it's nonsensical, you know, it's like poking yourself in the eye and expecting to see better. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Uh, but that's why, you know, there's VBT. Now, why to use it is if you are looking, if you've already got athletes who are strong and you're looking to bridge the gap into power or you're looking to bridge the gap into some other methods like with velocity loss, which I'll come back to in a second. Uh, that's really what we're, you know, that, that's what we're about is trying to bridge that gap. So we can do squats explosively. They don't have to be just a heavy movement and they can elicit an adaptation. Uh, you know, so, you know, we can take that same movement and use it for multiple things. Now, uh, you can do a squat for explosive strength. You can do a squat for absolute strength, et cetera. Same thing for deadlifts. Now, some of the exercises aren't going to fall into the zones because they have a different range of motion. They have different stabilization patterns, EMGs, and things like that. 
And uh, quite frankly, you know, I never even considered that. Uh, why didn't I consider it? Well, because my background was in powerlifting. So I thought, why would somebody want to be to, doing something other than a squat and deadlift? I was uh, blinded by my own cognitive bias based off of my background. And I think that we often have a lot of that in uh, strength and conditioning. Uh, and that's because, you know, we're, you know, most people get into strength and conditioning because they like lifting weights. Well, what does an athlete yeah. come to play sport for? Well, they come because they're playing the sport. Yeah. So, you know, they, you know, all that I'm looking to do is make sure that we can have things that easily transfer for that athlete. And the exercise, you know, so again, getting back to it, uh, you know, my bias was in powerlifting. So I chose those exercises. If somebody is background is Olympic weightlifting, they're going to be pushing the clean and jerk and the snatch. And uh, it's not that either one is right or wrong. They're training different aspects of performance and athleticism, but we just have to realize that, hey, we've got a bias here and we're going to have to to pay attention to that for whenever we program or else everything's going to get way out of whack. Now, that being said, bringing up the Olympic lifts, they obviously don't fall into the zones. You know, a 1RM for a clean, for a uh, Division One AA college football player happens to happen at about 1.44 meters per second. Uh, if somebody is actually neurologically trained as an Olympic weightlifter, you know, their elite level, that uh, definitely does vary. Uh, but uh, for somebody with reasonable technique, it's about 1.44 meters per second for the uh, peak velocity. And, uh, you know, then the snatch, it's like about two meters per second for the one or in velocity that I've, I've typically seen. And that's catching in the power position. I guess I need to, to clarify there. I'm not with the athletes. I don't do anything in the full catch position. Um, yeah, it just doesn't, there's not that many times whenever an athlete is going to be receiving forces while they are below parallel in a squat. So yeah. why would I train them to do something that they're not going to be demanded to do within their sport? That's like, um, you know, trying to play basketball so I can get taller. Yeah, to me, it just, it's pretty nonsensical. Uh, which if that worked, man, I'd be out on the court all the freaking time. You know, I'd, I'd like to be over 5'8 <laughs> one of these days, you know. Uh, but that's just, you know, it is what it is. And then, uh, so some other, going back into the VBT off of my long tangent that we finally pulled back around, you know, there's other aspects to it other than just the zones, things like uh, velocity loss, right? Um, so velocity loss is just that. And you go until you lose a certain percentage of velocity. And realizing that most people hit uh, failure around 40 or 50% of velocity loss, if we give something below that, then that is indicative of, of mitigating some fatigue, right? So, uh, you know, and there's plenty of research that's been out there, especially coming out of uh, Spain. And there's been some uh, fantastic studies with, uh, for, uh, let, me, let me flip back into my Spanish here, Fernando Pereja Blanco. Uh, he, uh, you know, he's done some great studies with velocity loss in team sport athletes showing that, hey, they did half of the volume. They saw better strength gains. They saw better power gains. They saw better speed gains. They saw better change of direction gains from doing half the volume. So that's indicative of that more is not better. Better is better. And that's something that, you know, allows us to change our viewpoints in, in training. Also, if we look at the force velocity relationships, not just the load velocity relationships, that can give us some ideas of how to alter the training for the team sport athletes. Yeah. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, if somebody is really, really great at low velocity and high force, you know, like one arm squat and things like that, uh, a lot of people just assume that they're going to be running faster and jumping higher. And that isn't always the case. That might be pushing the envelope of what they're already good at. So if we push what they're good at, that's like saying, I'm really, really thirsty and need more caffeine. This is a, uh, well, let's call this a half liter bottle. And I want a liter of a caffeinated beverage in here right now because my daughter's kept me up all night. What's going to happen if I try and put a liter of liquid into a half liter bottle? It's going to spill all over. Yeah. Just like the training that you're putting into that athlete, doing what they're not going to see any returns from, just because you think it's cool to see some heavy-ass weight on the bar. I love it, being a power lifter, but it's not eliciting a better adaptation. So then yeah. we can 
dial in and say, hey, you're poor at the velocity of the spectrum. So instead of doing uh, eight sets of four at 85%, let's do 12 sets of two at 40% and do it fast. Or maybe we should change the exercise to something that has a higher velocity emphasis. Yeah. Uh, so instead of doing cleans, maybe we're going to snatch. Instead of going to squat, maybe we're going to do some jump squats or something along those lines, just allowing us to have a better exercise selection to allow you to meet your goal. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, there was uh, uh, Stephen Covey and Dan John have said the same thing many, many times, and that's the goal is to keep the goal the goal. If our goal is to enhance athletic performance, let's not get muddied with seeing what the load is on the barbell. Yeah. And that's, uh, for, I probably had some other place that I was going right then, and I actually don't remember what it was. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned about the zone, right? Like, mm -hmm. so, but I heard it, like, from the other podcasts, which, like, I think it's Dan Baker said it. Like, yeah. most most of the... I said I think most of the athletes they're they're like max strength would be like zero point three five to like yeah one RM squat hits about zero point yeah. three five somewhere between zero point two six and zero point three five meters per second typically yeah. and that decreases every year as they gain neuromuscular efficiency yeah but but what he said is like if it's like one hundred meter sprinter the one RM, one RM like velocity because it's going to be higher, probably one zero point four or a little bit higher. Is that correct or? Uh, a little. Uh, that's actually not. I mean, I've seen about point three eight, point three nine. I haven't seen many over point four. Uh, I have had a couple of athletes that were uh, that I did have a point, like about a point four two meter per second Whoa. one RM. Uh, but also these athletes were not super strong either. Okay. So, you know, it could have been a force velocity relationship that, that may have been off. But if they're a 100-meter sprinter, max force isn't probably isn't the most important for them. Yeah. Uh, so they need to just uh, keep pushing whatever is going to allow that to improve. Now, Dan and I, whenever we sit and talk, uh, I'll tell you this right off the bat, we agree on way more than we disagree on. Yeah. Uh, and most of our disagreements come from how we operated as a coach. Now, Dan had small groups. I didn't. It would be nothing for me to work with 50, 60 athletes at a time. And I'm not, uh, and there's other people who are far smarter than I am and can probably do this far better. But uh, especially whenever I was doing this, and this was pre uh AMS to where all of the athletes have got their workouts right in front of them. I would have to remember everybody's individual velocity and every coach that's working there would have to remember everybody's individual velocity and it just didn't work out. So as a, uh, as a coaching staff, we agreed that, Hey, we need to just make it super simple. And yeah. we did. And we saw continued improvements in power over what had been seen by uh, the works of Jacobson at Oklahoma State and by the works of Miller at um, Texas A&M, which are two Division One universities with you know similar backgrounds, similar operating styles. Uh, so we saw greater gains for a longer period whenever we used velocity as opposed to whenever we didn't. Uh, I've got that out in a poster publication, so if somebody wants to find that, uh, it was, gosh, probably 2015, 2016, uh, so they would be able to find that abstract in one of the NSCA journals that have got the national conference abstracts in them. Uh, so, you know, most of our variations occur as a result of that. Now, will I have athletes that don't fall into the zones? Yeah. And if they're good, I'll go ahead and I'll alter their, their prescription. But that's where I start everybody at. If, and also, if an athlete is not uh, marquee and they're not falling into the zones, uh, not marquee, not, uh, not somebody who will ever see the field, will never actually play. I don't. In, I never ended up changing their uh, individual velocities because why am I going? This sounds very, very harsh. But if I spend a lot of time individualizing programming for somebody who's not going to see the field, I'm probably going to get fired yeah. because I'm not taking my time doing the stuff that I need to do yeah. for 
what's going to enhance results. So the duds, I didn't alter. The studs, yeah, we would move some of them up. But how many do we have to move up? Well, you know, outliers make up, what, like 3% if they're three standard deviations away, and then, you know, 16% if they're two standard deviations away. So, I mean, we're looking at 19% of the team might have an alteration, but they're usually still close enough that where it didn't matter. So for that 3% of the people, we would go ahead and, and alter it on up. Now, there, uh, some people will say, well, you're losing a lot of your results because uh, the, if you're going off of the mean, that's not as good as going off of an individual. And, you know, they're absolutely correct. But I just could not do that in a sustainable manner. Could we do it for a one session? Yeah, we could do it for one. Could we do it for two? Yeah, we could do it for two. What about for 30? That gets really old, and that's just uh, whenever all of your work is worrying about a about the velocities and not about the technique and not about enforcement of standards, then what you've got is a time suck. You don't have a, uh, a, a training methodology. You've got yeah. a time suck, and then you're not going to want to continue it. It's not going to be sustainable. It doesn't matter how good the results are if something is not sustainable. So I think that's something that has to be brought, taken into account too. Um, there's a reason why the practitioners love the zones and they didn't love the individual load velocity relationships because it was sustainable. Yeah. And uh, you know, that's something that I'll, I'll you know, it, it, for the people who want and can do the individual load velocity relationships, fantastic, man, roll with it. This with me having, oh, 65 track athletes, 25 soccer athletes on the floor at the same time, both of my teams who I'm in control of training, having 90 people on the floor at the same time, ain't, ain't, I'm not doing individual load velocity relationships. Yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. Uh, other people might be able to figure it out, and they're far smarter than me. I, you know, I, I'm not the first to admit. I'm dumb, right? I've had nine concussions. I, uh, you know, I, I strug- struggled through my undergraduate program. Uh, but, you know, here I am today. Uh, you know, doing what I, I'm doing and still and, and what, doing what I love. Uh, there's, is there better ways to do it? Yeah. But, you know, a lot of times the better ways to do it end up making it not sustainable. So, you know, that, that's my, my thought there. If you work with small groups, absolutely. You'd be stupid not to use individual load velocity relationships. Yeah. But if you're working with a team sport, you got 50 people on the floor at the same time. Man, slap yourself if you think you can do that. Yeah, uh, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Thanks, man. I'm, I, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not saying this to be disrespectful. Just. Oh like, no, 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 not at all. I've had enough people say that to me that it's just like, hey, I want to go ahead and get it out there now. And honestly, Dan and I are friends, man. Uh, you know, we will hang out and have a good time. I love Cersei. I love him. But. <laughs> You know, it, it just don't drink with them because you're going to have a hangover for at least two or three days. You know, I, I don't know how far Taiwan is from Bali. I'm geographically challenged in Florida, the state that I live in right now. I have no idea where Bali is in relation to Taiwan. But if you go over to Bali, don't go drink for drink with Dan. Go have a drink with Dan. But you stop and let him keep going. I made that mistake and was hung over for two days. But okay. yeah, no, it, Eric, there was nothing disrespectful taken at, from yeah. that. It was just like, hey, I've heard this so many times. Let's get it out on a podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks. So I'm going to jump into the next question. For velocity-based yeah. ba- velocity training, there's like clean and snatch or high pole. They usually use like peak velocity, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like peak velocity better than I like average velocity for them. Yeah, but why does like squat and like deadlift or uh, they use like average velocity? Yeah, that's a great question, and let's get to it now. If um, I guess let's start with the characteristics of the Olympic weightlifting movement, uh, or if uh, it should be done, uh, you know, what are the characteristics of Olympic weightlifting movement? What do they do with for an Olympic weightlifting movement? For the snatch and the jerk, well, how is it performed? Yeah, especially coming off the floor, it comes off pretty slow, and then you hit that second pull, and then what happens to the barbell? Are you, it flight floats up into the air, and yeah. you drop underneath and catch it. So that's yeah. a ballistic movement. Yeah. So, what is responsible for the velocity of the barbell while it's being projected, for the acceleration or deceleration of it? After Sorry? that second pull. So once you hit that second pull and you float yeah. the barbell up into the air, 
Yeah. What's in control of either producing the force or slowing down? I'm sorry, producing the velocity, accelerating the barbell or decelerating the barbell? What's responsible at that point in time? Gravity. Exactly. It ain't you. It's gravity. Now, couple that with if we have a defined moment when something happens, would you and you know from other research that all of this happens at one specific point, would you choose to look at that one specific point or would you choose to look at everything else, a lot of which does not matter for the movement? One specific point. And if we know that there is one specific point at the top of the second pole when peak velocity occurs, why would we want to look at the mean that takes into account everything else? So what typically would happen with me and what I noticed with the, the coaching of the athletes, now I worked with a lot of uh, collision sport athletes, you know, contact and collision sport. Having shoulder, elbow, and wrist injuries, it wasn't only uncom uncom not uncommon. It was um, basically expected. You're going to have a shoulder, elbow, or wrist injury. So yeah. if you have shoulder, elbow, or wrist pain, you're probably going to be changing the met, uh, mode at which you catch the barbell yeah. to give it a longer time duration to disperse that force so it doesn't have the same impact onto your joint. Yeah. That slows down the mean velocity. So what I would end up seeing is that, uh, especially whenever I started out with the tendo, that the, I would have athletes that the bar looked like it was moving blazing fast, but it was giving a slow reading. Then whenever I started looking at the peak versus mean relationship, I noticed that there was a huge discrepancy. Super fast peak, super low mean. Yeah. And then when you start looking at the, the time trace for the position time curve, you can see that it would go up and then it was just kind of, you know, going way over here and then they were, the lift was complete. So then that mean was really throwing in a bunch of things that didn't really actually matter for the completion of the exercise. Now, Let's flip this. So that's why I look at peak. You know, we can look at the Harbili paper, which told us everything that we already knew. Peak velocity occurs at the top of the second pole. If you'd ever done anything with Olympic weightlifting, you already knew that. Uh, that was a, you know, uh, a very important paper to get out there. So it could be referenced, but it was kind of like a, yeah, you're, you're telling me something I already know. But again, I think it was a, a fantastic paper and I, I reference it all the time. Now let's go for the squat and the deadlift. Yeah. If you at any point in time on a heavy squat or, de or deadlift, let go of the bar, what happens? Drops. It drops. So you're not yeah. completing the lift. You're in charge of the force production for the entirety of the motion. Uh, the mean velocity, whenever we're looking at a whole, uh, an entire team, tends to have a much stronger relationship in terms of R squared or, or an effect size. Uh, between you know, the load velocity relationship than peak. Now, if you're looking at just an individual, you could use whatever you want as long as you stay consistent. Yeah. Okay? So the individual load velocity relationships for peak velocity or mean velocity to load are, are linear, uh, typically. Um, there could be a curvilinear relationship, whatever, but you can definitely get a, a regression equation from it. Now, it's getting curvilinear whenever you start going into the lighter loads. Uh, why? Well, whenever you've got a lighter load, you actually have to slow yourself down more than you're accelerating the bar, and that ends up causing problems, right? Uh, if you don't, or it causes problems with the relationship. So if I'm only uh, accelerating 36% of my time, well, that means 64% of my time I'm slowing down. Yeah. So then that's going to alter that load velocity relationship. Uh, which is why that I recommend whenever you get below like 50% that uh, if you're not using accommodating resistance, you should be doing jumps, right? So that way you don't have to slow down. Yeah. Uh, and that'll also increase the, uh, the EMG and the early onset EMG so that you'll be able to call upon muscle, uh, more muscle more quickly, uh, which yeah. again would be a positive benefit. And we, you could see that in the paper from uh, Hockenden and Comey. Uh, I want to say it came out in like 1985. Uh, it's a pretty classic paper that, uh, that, that a lot of people still reference. Uh, but that's, that, so, you know, that's, but that's why. Because you're in charge of producing the force the entire time uh, versus the, the uh, Olympic lifts where there's that projection of the barbell into space. Yeah. Now, for some people within Olympic lifting, 
Uh, they've actually found better relationships with the uh, uh, mean velocity than they did the peak, that it went up, 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 and then it just had a steep drop-off, which, you know, that could be the fact that they just couldn't get under it and catch it that day, or it could be, you know, it could be something else, uh, and I don't know. But we also have to take into account SPP versus GPP, yeah. right? For a team sport athlete, Olympic weightlifting is GPP. For yeah. a weightlifter, it's SPP. So, yeah. you know, you, you can't really, uh, yeah, just trade things out between a specific sport or not you know that 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 uh whenever a sport you know that's like saying that I, i'd be playing uh basketball to become a better uh weightlifter right okay. but yeah. the bas but uh basketball players use weightlifting to make themselves a better basketball player but if they do the technique and do everything just like olympic weightlifter doing the catches at the bottom then that's okay if that's your philosophy but then realize that playing basketball isn't going to make the weightlifter a better weightlifter you know, yeah. it, it just so, yeah, it, it's like that sounds a little funny, but I want you to stop and think, you know, what are we doing here? Let's get to let's get to the root cause. You know, are, are we doing this because that's what we've always done, because that's our athletic background. We're weight, you know, I'm a weightlifter. Or I'm a powerlifter. That's why I'm having them train this way. Or, you know, or, or is it actually enhancing their sport results? And how would you know if it enhances their sport result? Well, you need to calculate a transfer index or look at even a, just a simple correlational analysis between the changes. Um, and if you're not doing that, I think you're doing your athletes a disservice and honestly yourself a disservice because you don't know if it actually worked or not, what you did in your program. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how many people are doing that right now, but, you know, I think it's something that I definitely teach for my students uh, that they need to be going and doing. Cool, man. Cool. So there, there's a question for our, the audience, but I kind of want to like extend it. So what he asked was like, when do you use it for like, when do you use VBT for like, if it's like in season or off season, but I want to ask it like this way. So like, do you, are, are you going to use velocity based training for like, for like the whole year, or is there a specific time you're going to use velocity-based training? That, that's an excellent question, and the answer is it depends. If, uh, if it is a lesser-trained athlete, you know, a freshman, for instance, you know, 18-, 19-year-old kid, I'm probably not going to be using VBT for them at all. Uh, I'm going to make sure that they've got the requisite, requisite strength levels before they ever, uh, ever enter. Uh, and I think that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions of me with VBT is that, you know, I, I'm assuming that everybody already knows A through G, and I'm starting out at H. So uh, my thoughts on VBT are that they shouldn't be used unless somebody can already squat at least 1.7 times their body weight, right? Uh, I, this is an advanced method and should be used as such. Uh, whenever you start using the advanced methods too soon, you lose the adaptation. Yeah. And what do I mean? You lose it twice, according to a conversation that I had with Anatoly Bondarchuk, who, uh, if you're not familiar with who he is, I highly recommend that you familiarize yourself because this dude swept podiums at Olympics and World Championships in the hammer. Now, and, and it wasn't just once. I mean, we're talking multiple times. He would show up and everybody, you know, if, if his athlete showed up, everybody just went ahead and gave in. <laughs> and I think Yuri Sadiq, who is one of his athletes, let me look up to see if he still has the world record in the hammer. Record, hammer, thrower, male. It is still held by Yuri Sadiq, uh, who was one of Anatoly's athletes. So that just kind of tells you what level he's on. Now, I go over that to say yeah, that he said, if you do things in the wrong order, you lose the adaptation twice. You lose it the first time whenever you actually did it because the, they didn't have all of the prerequisites, the requisite abilities that they needed to be able to perform at the highest level. Then you lose it the second time because you're not going to see as much of a jump because now that the athlete is ready for it, they already have adapted. So then they're not going to see a massive spike in performance. Yeah. So VBT is one of those. If you use it too soon in a career, you kind of wreck the peak of the athlete, the, the highest possible you know, power performance. If uh, so, you know, that that's one of the things that I look at it for. Now, if I have got a more capable athlete, I'm going to be using VBT basically just during my power phases. 
unless, right, unless I'm using it for velocity loss. Uh, let's say I've got an athlete who I need to get stronger, and if they gain a little bit of size, that's okay, uh, but I don't want them to put on a massive amount of weight. It's like, who would that be? Well, look at that dude behind me. I mean, he was already a big, a big strong-ass <laughs> dude, right? Yeah. Now, you know, that... Uh, now, I, would, I didn't do this with him because I didn't know about this at the time, but Christian would have been somebody I would have done it with. And honestly, if I uh, ever get the chance to work with his son, uh, it's one of the things that I would definitely be doing with him because that dude just broke the world record uh, for his age group in the, uh, I think it by, in the shot by six feet and the discus by nine feet. So two meters and three meters. World record's usually broken by a centimeter. And this dude's cracking it by meters. I mean, holy shnikes. But uh, if I wanted to limit fatigue, elicit a, a strength gains, uh, and this person's already trained, it's not like I've got to build up, develop requisite capabilities, then I'm going to go with velocity loss in the off-season with them, in the early off-season. Uh, but most athletes I'm not going to do that with. Uh, we're going to be cool. getting strong, 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 and then we're going to be hitting a phase whenever we go for our power where I'll start out with strength speed, run that three to four weeks, go into speed strength. Now, most of my time as a coach, I live in strength speed and speed strength if I'm using VBT. I'm not messing around with the other things. Uh, earlier on in my career, I did, uh, you know, because I'm like, oh, I can do this, so I'm going to. Well, you know, there's a, in, the, in the United States, we got an, at least in the Oklahoma, where I'm originally from, we got an old adage, an old saying, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And yeah. uh, in complete candidate, I think that I was doing uh, a disservice and overcomplicating things by trying to do a lot of stuff in accelerative strength and absolute strength. And, uh, and quite frankly, that if we would have just busted out the ammonia and, uh, you know, nose caps, nose torque and slapped each other silly to get them fired up to get under the barbell, we might have seen some better adaptations because we would have possibly elicited a better force response. So, you know, it's um, quite simply put, late. So whenever it's preseason, that's definitely whenever I'll be using VBT. In season for fatigue management, the whole time. But off season, who cares? Get them strong. Yeah. Get them what they need. Yeah. Get them what they need. Now, if they need power, right, then I'm absolutely doing VBT with them right off, right off the bat. If they were a velocity deficient athlete who's already extremely strong, then yeah, dude, why are we wasting time? Let's get the adaptations that you need. Uh, yeah. but if it's, uh, just a, a basic athlete and no, I'm not, I'm not messing around with it. And I think that's the biggest misconception that people think that everything I do is off of velocity and it's not, uh, over, you know, I, I was, uh, looking at some of my old throwers workouts and for the course of a week for throwers, I might only have four exercises where I measured velocity. And some people are like, Oh my God, why wasn't it everything? because it didn't matter. It would have overcomplicated things. I might have had six exercises that I would have done it at, but for the two of them, for the push jerk and the snatch, their techniques sucked so bad. It's like, how did it suck for push jerk? It was new. It was a new movement, right? And they just didn't, they didn't have it dialed in to where I thought that we could look at something else. I wanted them to just be focused entirely in on the technique for that movement. And then the snatch, well, that's no, you know, that's like a no duh. A snatch is a complicated movement. So we're going to need to, uh, you know, dial in the technique for them at that point in time. It was a new movement. So we didn't look at velocity. We might have looked at it later on, but I mean, we're talking five, six exercises over the course of a week versus some people where I'll see them do five or six in a day. And that just doesn't make sense. Cool, man. Thanks. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, Jump into the last question, okay? So, yeah. Velocity based training versus like force velocity profile. What is the difference? Well, the big difference is with a force velocity profile, what you're looking at is where is the where does the deficiency lie in my athlete? Uh, some people like to use force velocity profiling for one RMs and prediction and things like that. And you know, be honest with you, I, I really don't see a point. Because uh, I, I can get a really accurate uh, based off my load velocity relationship, and uh, since I've got it anyways, why are you gonna you know predict something that you're you know an estimation whenever we've got a really really good predictive model? Uh, it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Uh, and then the VBT, the traditional VBT, is just about load selection. Uh, 
uh, for any given day. So I guess for FVP, force velocity profiling, we're worried more about exercise selection. VBT, it's more about load selection. Uh, force velocity profiling is what's done on occasion for testing. And then the load velocity relationships are what dictate our exercise, uh, you know, what loads we're using for that given day. Uh, and that's, you know, that, that's how I look at it. Is that right or wrong? I, I don't know. Uh, but it's the way that I look at it. But how, how about, how about like force velocity profiling for sprinting? Oh, that's, then that's easy. I mean, that's just, you know, that's exercise selection again, you know, uh, because, you know, one thing that some people don't understand is with the force velocity profiling for the sprint, you're taking one sprint and looking at the different sections. So just in case, because I know that I had this misconception before I ended up talking with JB, is that I thought it was running with loaded sleds and looking at the changes and how the force and uh, velocity and power change at each load. So using like a, uh, a wireless load cell uh, hooked up in there. And uh, that's not what JB did. And that's not what, actually, I say JB. I mean, yeah, he's one of them. But, you know, uh, uh, Pierre Samazino, uh, that, that's one of the things that Pierre did was that he, uh, he used that one repetition. And we know that, dude, as a coach, you already know this, right? Your 10 time, that's usually relative strength. Your 20 time. Yeah, here's Bushek's name. Let me just quote him so that I can, and I'll just, so I can say what he's saying instead of trying to change it to not plagiarize. Boo said, you squat for your 10, you clean for your 20, beyond that is sprinting. So where's the deficiency? Is it a top end speed? Well, that's sprinting and sprint mechanics, and then we could be looking at some overspeed drills. Uh, is it that you lack the ability to have a high force at the start? Well, dude, that's absolute strength or uh, heavy resistance sprints. You know, it, it's just about exercise selection. So even there with the sprinting, that's it, man. It, it, it's exercise selection. It, it, it's nothing else. It's trying to, and it's trying to reach optimal. But I would caution everybody, uh, based off of some of the stuff that I've done with VBT, about what is optimal, right? Um, if I have this optimal relationship that, yeah, basically, you know, you look at the slope and it looks like a 45 degree, right? That's considered optimal. But optimal for what? Is it going to be optimal for my offensive linemen who need a huge force component and the velocity component is, uh, I wouldn't say that it is unimportant, but uh, a good offensive lineman is going to have really, really good force because everything that they do is going to be with the resistance of another opponent. Yeah. If I push them to that, push the velocity into the spectrum for them, would they still be able to have that high force? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and whereas I started off with uh, when, so here's exactly how VBT came to be with the zones for anybody who doesn't know. I, I don't know if I've even mentioned this on a podcast before, but the squat bench and deadlift, I looked at the football team, the baseball team, and, uh, and a couple of our basketball guys at SMS and the football team and the baseball team at University of Missouri. So I've got two schools in the same state, about two and a half, three hours apart and the same sports. It's a very, very homogenous group, right? So that's where that load-velocity relationship came from, right? Uh, would it have varied with other people? Well, well maybe. But uh, here's the point that I'm trying to make is that what was average for them is not necessarily average for everybody. What if it were yeah. tennis? What if it were the sprinters? What if it were um, other sports right now that are, you know, uh, I was just trying to be cute and think, oh, what's big in Taiwan? Is it handball? I have no idea. But, you know, these other athletes, these other sports, they may have different needs of what's going to make somebody great in that sport. So then their load velocity relation, I'm sorry, their force velocity relationship would look different, just like their load velocity relationships look different for athletes at different levels, right? Yeah. So the athletes for the NAIA in high school, right? Therefore, their low velocity relationships don't match with my zone. So then people are yeah. like, oh, you know, and this is something that I found later. I didn't find it for many years. And here's why I didn't find it for many years. You know that uh, the Tendos were the cheap ones and they were $1,800 and the gym wear was $2,200. Well, <laughs> yeah. they didn't get into high schools. They didn't get into small colleges. So there was no way that I would have known at that yeah. point in time. It wasn't until yeah. I'd already been doing this for 
God, decade, decade and a half that it started to become affordable for other people and then they could do it. And then we see, hey, there's uh, that, that nice tight relationship isn't as good for uh, the high school kids. You know, it's a much broader uh, standard deviation instead of like 0.06 that it was for the Division One athletes. It was like 0.2. I'm like, shit, that's a big spread. Well, yeah. then if they bucketed those athletes, somebody basically could say, hey, here's my person who's got a shot at playing college. Here's my pe people who don't have a shot at playing college, and they bucket those. The relationship can becomes a lot closer. It's still not as good as it was for our Division One athletes. But uh, this is also why they, they do, you know, specific equations, population-specific equations for, for things. Um, a few months ago, we published that uh, the – uh, prediction equation for power for standing long jump between, you know, uh, for Division One football players. Well, whenever we put it into my class, uh, not my class, excuse me, one of our classes here, uh, one of the lab classes, it turns out that whenever the female people in the class did it, some of them had negative powers. Now, that might have been somewhat because of uh, a lack of effort. That is absolutely possible. Uh, but for some of them, I knew that they were trying because I knew the students and I've never known them to give anything half-assed physically or mentally. Uh, so then it just led me to thinking, hey, this is something we probably ought to look at and do a better job of and how it, we might require population-specific equations. Or one later, whenever we get one massive equation, that gender would be one of the variables within it. Um, so that's a, a, a long roundabout way of, you know, showing that, yeah, there is a, uh, there is a weakness there, but there's inherent weakness, there's inherent flaws and everything. Uh, so, you know, know what you're doing. Uh, but again, now that we've got those, you know, the, the ability to collect the data it, for things that are much cheaper, uh, like open bar, oh, it's not called open barbell anymore. Uh, there's some really cheap linear position transducers for three or $400 as opposed to the $1,800 and $2,200 of the Gym Aware and the Tendo. Um, are they good? I have no idea. Uh, I, haven't, uh, I haven't used them. Uh, I'm a Gym Aware guy. Uh, just be, I love the x-axis correction and the way that they can uh, get, pull the data from the cloud. Uh, that makes my life so much easier. Uh, but uh, you know, now that we've got the ability to look at all these things, I think that we need to look at creating what's optimal for the specific populations. What's optimal yeah. for track might not be what's optimal for football, might not be what's optimal for basketball, might not be optimal for hockey or lacrosse or handball. What are the big sports in Taiwan anyway? So I have no idea. Baseball? Baseball. Baseball. Uh, okay. Well, then that's actually, you know, we're already good there. So I don't have to have to worry about that. The, the load velocity relationship on everything, but trap bar deadlift is pretty, pretty solid. Uh, trap bar deadlift isn't going to be solid because uh, – yeah, there, there was a paper by, man, I think it was Helms. I think it was Eric Helms and Mike Zordos was the anchor on that paper uh, where they saw that there was not a difference in the 1RM velocities of athletes of different heights. Uh, and it was female athletes, and I want to say softball, but I can't remember exactly. And here's why. If you go into a weight room anywhere in the, in the United States, you'll see this, that if somebody is – a taller athlete, what is their stance width compared to a shorter athlete? It's going to stand probably wider. It's wider. They're yeah. adding to the frontal plane to take away from the sagittal plane. So then that range of motion isn't tremendously different. We could go back in and we could look at lift depth and everything, and there's going to be variations that exist within heights and and all of that and leg lengths and torso lengths and all that. But essentially that it's not enough of a difference to make a difference in the outcome, right? So it would probably be, even if it was statistically significant, the effect size of it would be relatively small. Yeah. It's like, okay, there's a difference, but so what? Who actually cares about this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's, so I guess for the, the listeners, whenever you look at statistics and you just look for that P value, it's like, oh, the P is less than 0.05. That means this. Now look at the effect size too, right? Look at the Cohen's D, look at the partial A to squared. You'll look at the effect size. That gives you the so what? Uh, because just because something is, is statistically significant can still be clinically meaningless. Okay. And uh, yeah, so we got we to gotta look at that. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate it, man. That's what, my that's, pleasure. 
that's the last question I have. So, at the end, like, if there's coaches want to reach out to you or they have questions for velocity-based training mm-hmm. or just, like, other, like, training method, where, where can I reach out to you? Well, I've got, uh, for your listeners, I've got the, the code. If they want to get deep, you know, deep dive into VBT, if they go to Stronger Experts, and I got to look up. I told you the code, but I already forgot it. Um, I think it's like Brian sixty, right? Yeah, very well might be. I'm just trying to pull that up right now because I don't. Check. Yeah, Brian sixty, B R Y A N sixty uh, at yeah. StrongerExperts.com. They'll get sixty bucks off either the uh, course for VBT or the course with uh, a flex. So the, the flex isn't add-on so if you're looking for a device it's a pretty good one if you're looking just for individual i've heard i've not used but i've heard that there's team functions now with it so that might be something to to take a look at uh specific questions that are you know about specific you know areas you can try and email me i'm tough to get a hold of email right now being program director and the stuff that i do for the nsca it's not uncommon right now from the past 10 days, I've got 738 unread emails. So I'm, I'm tough. Yeah, dude, it's bad. I, and, you know, I apologize if somebody's getting a hold, trying to get a hold of me by email and I don't get back to them. Email me again. And hopefully, you know, by the third time, I'll recognize the name and be like, okay, all right, let's go. Let's see what they want. Excuse me. Uh, but, you know, while I'm very, very busy, I'm not that popular. So social media is usually a better way to get a hold of me. You know, I'll, okay. in 10 days, I've got 1,000 emails. But I also, uh, it, well, it's well over a thousand. I usually average about two hundred a day, um, but uh, I, I'm not very popular, right? So I'm busy, but I'm not popular. So I'll get one tweet, two tweets a week, a couple of uh, Instagram messages, which you know that I'm getting better at being able to check the uh, whenever somebody's not a friend. I don't know how to work this shit. Obviously, <laughs> you know that. I had these problems coming in. You you put me in front of force plates and I can do that. But social <laughs> media, I guess it's the, the gray in my beard. I'm getting to be that uh, grandpa that has to have the kids come in and have <laughs> fix everything for them. Uh, but yeah, social media, all of them are just J Brian Mann, J-B-R-Y-A-N-M-A-N-N. And uh, I'll usually get back to you pretty quick. And some people will send me a long email and then they'll follow it up with a social media uh, uh, tweet message whatever and uh and i i get to them that way cool cool Thanks, my office man. number if they want it yeah. 305-284-5844 uh emails bman at miami.edu cool man thanks appreciate it my pleasure so thank you for your time and i would really love to like invite you for a second time okay yeah i'm gonna message you sounds good thanks my pleasure. See you. See you. So that's all for today. Thank you all.